0: Welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast, and at this point we are looking back into the book again. Um, This is very much related to our previous episode where we were talking about liturgy, but um, the next chapter in the book is on waiting worship. And so there are a few aspects, you know, we covered a lot of this in the discussion of uh, liturgy, but there are some aspects that we wanted to pull out of this chapter as well. Um, one of those is the corporate aspect of um, meeting for worship. and
1: yeah, Pep- this... Pepsi has done amazing things for Quakerism and our worship, and other corporations are really great. So we're going to talk about the corporate aspect of our worship, right?
0: That's not the meaning of corporate.
1: Oh, I mean. Wait, wait, I'm confused. Monsanto, that's what... No. Mackenzie's giving me this look <laughs>
0: Maybe we need to look up the etymology of corporate. Um, so, I mean, a corporation is a group of people working together. on a Yeah, I mean, thing, and, and Quakers
1: historically started a lot of corporations, Jeez. right? Jeez.
0: Uh, okay, so when we are incorporated together, which is to say, working together in worship, better. Um, <laughs> so okay, so so corporate aspect meaning the group aspects as opposed to individual. Okay. Um so, so this chapter has a bunch of has a big section that's quoted from the Quaker faith and practice of Britain yearly meeting, which is to say Quakers in Britain. Um and that's just got a whole bunch of quotes from a whole bunch of Quakers across the last three hundred and fifty years. And the particular one that I'm gonna highlight right now is from John Punchin and he says, Friends have never regarded worship as an individual activity. Friends have never regarded worship as an individual activity. People who regard friends' meetings as opportunities for meditation have failed to appreciate this corporate aspect. The waiting and listening are activities in which everybody is engaged and produce spoken ministry, which helps to articulate the common guidance which the Holy Spirit is believed to give the group as a whole. So the waiting and listening is corporate also. This is why friends emphasize the ministry of silence and the importance of coming to meeting regularly and with heart and mind prepared.
1: So I think uh, in in like general American church culture. And by that, I mean the the, the predominant group in American church culture is uh, Protestant evangelicals. Um, that's sort of the biggest single group. Uh, and I think uh, that group and just a general American culture is very focused on the individual. Um, American church culture has followed the lead of, of American culture in being very, very individual focused. Um, a, a lot of people, both Christian and non-Christians, are familiar with the phrase "Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior." Um, that phrase doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible, uh, this, the, and, and, and the, key, the key part that is an innovation—an innovation, an innovation uh, as, as far as I know—I'm I, I'm actually historically ignorant on this. This could have come from somewhere overseas, but I think it, I think this was an American innovation um, of the personal part: Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and. I'm sympathetic with the origins of the personal Lord and Savior language in the sense that I think the original intent of talking about your personal Lord and Savior was the idea that you needed, and I think this is very, this is very in line with Quaker, with Quaker thought, is that you need to have a personal experience of Jesus. And it's not enough to just sort of have heard about Jesus or subscribe to particular teachings about Jesus, but you need to have a personal relationship with him. I think that's valuable um, and critical. But I think the effect in American culture and American church culture of this personal Lord and Savior language has been to emphasize uh, sort of almost a a one-serving Christianity. And the idea of, like, you can get your Jesus and I can get my Jesus and she can get her Jesus and we'll all be good individually.
0: Are we back to the communion episode? Uh, I don't know. Single-serving Jesus?
1: Oh, did I talk about that then too?
0: No, 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 just because I'm thinking of pieces of bread.
1: Yeah. Well, so, yeah, so I mean, it was a bad joke. I mean, uh, you know, to, to talk about communion, um, it's significant for, for, for the vast majority of Christians that, that celebrate communion with bread and wine. Um, we all drink from one cup. Like, it all comes from one, even if you drink it in little, in little plastic cups, it all came from one bottle. Um, all the bread came from one loaf. And, like, we're partaking in a shared reality. It's all one body and one blood. It's all from Jesus, right? But the risk in a lot of American Christianity, and just in Amer- American culture in general, but in American Christianity, there's a risk of uh, getting into a mentality that our spirituality is profoundly personal and, therefore, not really relevant. First of all, not really relevant to our relationships and to our society, Um and, and and finally uh becomes so otherworldly that it can't impact anything. And so I think what John what John Punchon was expressing here in this quote that McKenzie read is this idea that when we gather together in our meetings for worship, um we are not simply coming like it is not and I'm not dogging on yoga I think yoga is great but it's not a yoga studio where we are primarily coming for like our own personal enrichment. And the that,
0: benches would be really in
1: the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not just coming for our personal enrichment. This is not about us as individuals primarily. It is primarily about the growth and health and faithfulness of the, of, of the corporate body, so to speak, the gathered assembly, the group of people gathered together as the church. The primary unit of the church is the community, and individuals make it up. Rather than an American culture, the primary unit being the individual and institutions being built out of the actions of those individuals. McKinsey, uh, have you, in your experience and in, in, in your meetings or in other meetings, um, seen individualism in conflict with the corporate sense that Quakers strive to?
0: Okay. Yes, I would. I would say that there's a lot that there's definitely individualism found um, in Quakerism, at least today, and that I feel like um, you know we talk a lot about community, but there's community it has has sort of two it's sort of that two edged sword kind of thing right so um when you're in a community uh you you've gotta trust each other right and there's there's a fear i think for a lot of people um of the vulnerability and the openness required in order to have that trust um people don't you know, they want privacy and privacy, I feel, is very much tied up with individualism. Um, Because if if you can't be vulnerable with the other people in your your community, then they can't really properly care for you. If they don't know what's wrong in your life, they can't help you out. They can't pray for you. They can't just, you know, hand you 50 bucks and say, here, go get that fixed. or, or, you know, show up with, if they don't know that something's wrong, they can't just show up with a casserole for you. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll see something come across your Facebook feed about, like, some Amish thing, right? And And they're talking about how, you know, something happened to this person and the entire church community, you know, rallies around and takes care of them. Like, I remember one where it's, um a woman has been widowed and she's got a bunch of kids and it's, well, of course the rest of the community is going to pitch in and um, help with the farm um, until her sons are old enough. And that's, whereas I feel like for a lot of us Quakers, um, we've, we've gone along with the mainstream society of you keep your problems to yourself. And so if you're having difficulties often nobody else in your community is gonna know it and therefore won't be able to give you the help that they would like to otherwise.
1: I think a part of this, uh, particularly in the, uh, in the East Coast uh, liberal Quaker context, is the fact that the overwhelming uh, character of these meetings is is up middle and upper middle class. Uh, and so it's easier to get away with this. The fact is, is that most people in the meetings, do not typically have like crazy economic needs that come up. Now, that's not universally true; it does absolutely happen. But like, it is easier to get away with this when most people are of means in the meeting, and mm-hmm. you can say, "Well, my problems are my problems, your problems are your problems. We'll figure this out without needing to involve in the meeting." Whereas, um, when we are living in when we are living together in a community as people who who have um, very tangible and unavoidable needs like making rent, like making the car payment, like getting your child care somehow, and you don't know how. Um, then it becomes a lot harder to stiff arm the community and say, "No, my problems are my problems, and your problems are your problems." That's fair.
0: Yeah, so that makes
1: sense. I think, I think, I think, um, I think that finding the corporate. You know, I think Jesus might have said something about it being very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> uh maybe 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 that wasn't so much a fiery judgment as just an observation of reality um i, I think i think that those of us and, and you know i i i think that both McKinsey and i fall into this category those of us who are who are you know economically stable middle class people um people who, who have a fair amount of privilege in our lives um we have to work extra hard on community because we are able to get away with not engaging in community and it's not that there aren't consequences for us for not engaging in community um, America is a very wealthy society and we're one, we're one of the most unhappy societies um, in many ways in many measures um, we get those of us who have means who, who who have enough you don't have to be you don't have to be rich but you have enough where you're not worried about making the car bill. You're not worried about, you know, being able to have your children take care of. Um, if uh, Mackenzie's making hands looking at me, so I'm not quite sure. Um, but <laughs> well, this, but is, this is kind of a tangent. Well, that's okay. Um, that's but I nice. did lose my train of thought. So I wish you hadn't done that. Um, what was I talking about, Mackenzie? Um. Oh, so when we are, when, so when we as middle class people, um, we we as middle class people have to work harder. Uh, on on community and we oh here's where I was going um we can get a, we can get away with it on an economic level but we we still don't get away with it on an emotional and spiritual level we no matter what your wealth level uh, we all have emotional and spiritual needs that cannot be met by ourselves as individuals um or nor even by the nuclear family um, there are millions of people today who are suffocating in their own personal bubbles or even suffocating the nuclear family and not able to get that that um community experience where we can be supported and held accountable. Uh, so so regardless of our wealth level, we're all desperately in need of this kind of community. Um something that I really that I really value about the friends of Jesus fellowship, which is a community that, that I'm a part of, uh is that uh we really we really value uh you know uh, for better or for worse and I tend to think it's for worse. Um, we are still, at this point, a mostly middle-class community. Um, but I think that we, we are really committed to doing the work that middle-class people have to do of building community, which is making ourselves vulnerable to one another and being tr- much more transparent than, than normal American society would expect about our families and our finances and our struggles in various aspects of our lives so that we can know how we need to help one another and we do financially support one another, we do logistically support one another we we extend help to one another when we need it, and we we try not to hide that from one another so I think that um, as you know we this this conversation started out about corporate worship, but I think you can't separate worship out from just the day to day life of the community and for us to be united as a community, we have to be vulnerable to one another and be willing not only to help other people in the community but to be the recipients of help
0: and on that note there's the individualism also shows up in the um, the the way we think about what we do or don't believe, and that there's also the whole whether believe means um uh, intellectually I agree with this concept versus trusting in in someone or something um but for you know for, for liberal Quakerism at least the you know what I'm involved in um there isn't really so much in the way of shared belief. Um, there's also not really a whole lot of talking about what we believe. Um, and I feel that the not talking about it is to the detriment. Um, because it's sort of, well, I believe my thing, you believe your thing, we don't need to discuss it. And that seems really odd for a faith community. Um, and I, I think it would be healthy for us to talk more about it more. And hello, we have a podcast for that now. Um,
1: <laughs> we're doing our part. How about you? <laughs>
0: um, and, you know, I, I would, I'll want i give a shout out to um, Sam Barnett Cormack, who um, I know is a non-theist friend who has been blogging um, because he believes that we really do need to talk about theology more with each other, even if we're not, the fact that we don't necessarily agree about you know, everything theologically is not a reason for us to keep our mouths shut. It's much more healthier if we are discussing. That's how, that's how you keep the community aspect.
1: And I think on the, sort of on the flip side of that, um, I think, uh, in a liberal Quaker context, there's a lot of onus put on the individual, um, to, to speak their minds and to express their conception of theology and of reality. Um, but I think on the flip side of that, um, to look at it from a corporate perspective, there is a responsibility of the community to articulate what it is we are about uh, and what it is we believe. I mean, th- think, think about, um, think about a, a any other organization, a corporation, a nonprofit, whatever it might be, that had no mission statement, uh, that had no, partic- vision statement. no vision statement, no particular purpose uh, that they showed up for. But they showed up because, well, we really like this group of people and we like coming to the office every day. And it's really, it's really neat to, like, we have coffee together when we're on break from whatever we, it is we happen to be doing. Um, that is not going to be a successful organization.
0: And that's, that's something that, so I, I'm the one that does um, the social media for my meeting and um, built our website. And so I, now on Facebook, um, spend a fair bit of time in this group that's called Church Communicators or Church Communications. It's um, other people who do that kind of thing for their meetings and churches. And, um, oh, and there's a Quaker counterpart that's Quaker Communications and Outreach, just, you know, in case that's relevant to you. Um, and we, we,
1: might, we might include a link in the show notes.
0: Yeah, I can do that. Um, and it's really interesting seeing people from these other churches talking about, like, well, they're, like, you know, trying to figure out how, how can we announce this or how do we decide what we should or shouldn't announce at the end of worship or shorter, shorter to include in the bulletin, or on the website, etc. And the question that always comes back is, how does it tie to your mission? And as I keep seeing this over and over, I'm like, you know, it occurs to me that I don't think my meeting has a mission statement. I know my yearly meeting does. It's about three pages long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's also not very helpful.
0: (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) And so, um, and I read this book called Simple Church, which was very... uh, interesting I was talking about how having having a spiritual formation process for your meeting or church and and tying that into your mission and everything and I'm going okay I, I see I see how there's a value in that mm-hmm. and that this you know acting corporately really Really matters and and is important not just for figure like it's important for figuring out what we're going to do and it's important for telling others who we are and what we value.
1: Yeah, and I I really like what you said about building it into structures. It's something that friends of Jesus is working on right now where um we are we're establishing gifts gifts based teams that focus on like the gifts and callings of the different people and join us together in teams where we can actually support one another and work on that. So there's like an intrinsic mission statement to each of these small groups that Friends of Jesus is, is forming right mm-hmm. now. So I, I think looking for ways to structurally build in that corporate sense and as, as, as much as we as Americans love to be able to do our own thing, really releasing that to some extent within the church and saying, you know what, I want to do our thing. And I want to figure out what our thing is and what we are doing together and how, and you know, how God is leading us as a community, not just how God is leading me as an individual. And that's, to bring that sort of back to sort of traditional Quakerism, that was a really major theme. That's That's been a really major theme in traditional Quakerism for a very long time. Uh, this sense of corporate accountability and discernment, um, uh, you know, this, this sort of thing happened all sorts of times, but i I remember reading about a case of a minister pretty early on in the Quaker movement who uh was feeling was feeling like God was leading him to go and preach doom and gloom to this city um and you know basically preach God's judgment on this city uh in england and he discussed it with some of the um, you know wise and seasoned members of his meeting who who were i think probably designated as elders. And when they heard what he was planning on doing, or thought he felt called to do, uh, their response was was not altogether approving. Uh, they they uh, counseled with him and uh, asked him, or more likely commanded him, to uh, to wait on uh, the thing that he planned to do and to give it more time to be sure that God's will was actually in it. Um, and his response to them was, uh, "I'm willing. I'm willing to wait if you're willing to bear the burden." Uh, and what when he said "bear the burden," he was making a scriptural reference to Moses. Who Moses, when he was feeling really stressed out with being sort of the the only spiritual guide and, inter, and, and, and intermediary between God and, and the Hebrew people, um, God put the Holy Spirit on uh, a group of elders who would help. Uh, Moses, bear the burden of leadership and bear the burden of the responsibility for leading Israel and so when this minister said to the elders, if you 'll bear the burden, I can wait." Um, he was saying, "If you will uh, accept the responsibility along with me for discerning this uh, i can i can I can wait until we 're all into war in agreement Now, the way that story ends, as I understand it is that you know eventually maybe a few weeks later, they got back together. And the minister agreed with the elders that, in fact, this probably was not a good idea, and, and God probably was not calling him to do that. But it certainly could have gone the other way, too, and it could have been uh, with a right leading, and this has happened many times in, in, in church and Quaker history, um, that uh, it turned out that the individual is correct, or it, or the individual has rightly discerned God's leading, and it's the community that's called to change, and one place, you know, one Sort of very famous place we thought was Quaker history was uh, with John Woolman, who uh, sort of went around for decades laboring with uh, with people in Philadelphia Yearly Meeting, and eventually that Yearly Meeting came to um, came to the conclusion that slavery was incompatible uh, with Christian faith. Um, but but in both contexts, whether it's the individual uh, eventually realizing the community's right. Or the community realizing the individual's witness is from God. Um, there's a sense of uh, one word you could use for it: solidarity, in the sense that like we all move forward together, or we don't. We don't. We don't. We, some people don't move forward, or move backwards, or move sideways without the whole community.
0: I would say that um, another term, and which is also a biblical one, would be mutual submission.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That um, that the willingness to say, you know what? No, you're right that you are submitting to their correctness or their authority and that it goes, it does go both directions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, I think, I think that, 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 sense of mutual submission, um, yeah, which is so uncomfortable for us as individuals to Americans is at the heart of, uh, the traditional Quaker understanding of worship, of worship and as our life as a church as being cor- primarily, primarily corporate, uh, rather than primarily individual
0: making me think of um there's a book called essays on the quaker vision of gospel order by lloyd lee wilson who is a quaker in north carolina um and this is making me think of some of the things that are in there because he talks about um covenant community and that really ties into what you're just saying Mm
1: -hmm. yes again it's not something that comes naturally to any of us especially in our culture uh but uh throughout the bible uh there's 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 an emphasis over and over again on God's relationship with first with Israel and then with the Church as being a relationship with a with a community and with uh, with a nation so to speak with a, with a large community of people uh, rather than primarily with individuals.
0: You can find us on the web at QuakerPodcast.org as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes.